0: Welcome to That Christian Geeky Couple from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam.
1: And Andrea Graham.
0: And uh, we're going to be talking about the Flash and the Runaway Dinosaur, which, strangely enough, uh, didn't actually involve dinosaurs. And I, uh, I What thought
1: Runaway Dinosaur?
0: The Runaway Dinosaur is the title of the Flash episode.
1: <laughs> what would they call that episode of the Flash the Runaway Dinosaur? Because, no wonder you said there, there to be a dinosaur.
0: <laughs> well, I expected there to be a dinosaur, yeah, because that was the title. But it was clever that it was called the Runaway Dinosaur and there was not a real dinosaur in it. Rather, it was the title of a children's book.
1: Was there any... Oh. A, a book.
0: Yes. That was the title uh, of the children's book.
1: Mm-hmm. So, that was kind of clever.
0: Yes, very clever. So, as it happened, Andrea, why don't you summarize the main plot of this episode?
1: You shouldn't want to hear my take on it. This could be a dangerous thing.
0: <laughs> I know, but this is, there's a first time for everything.
1: Okay, this is the episode where he's dead, but then, not really. Because this is, like, just out of the comics. Where, you know, the death's not the end. Kind of like Easter. Only they tend to do it in hockey ways. But anyway, he's not dead. He's just in the Speed Force. And his friends are trying to get him out of the Speed Force before this, like, dude that's been raised from the dead because from the Flash's is stupid, uh, Because the. Absolutely nothing would go wrong with setting off another particle accelerator explosion. But, of course, they were really up against the wall with, you know, like, Zoom killing everybody. But, anyway, so, they had no choice, and they risked it, and the... And now there's this zombie doing the... The other two flashes are gotten zapped and are... Uh, legs are hanging on Fred. So now they're trying to get his flash out of the Speed Force, only they can't get out of him. They're having trouble getting him out of the Speed Force because the Speed Force has decided to place therapist. And it's not letting him out and getting his powers back until it's decided that he's gotten good in touch with his feelings.
0: Well, I
1: think... And I'm like... was... A little bit, like, okay, I was a little lost on why. and You know, I'm generally, like, in the touchy, more the touchy-feely and exploring all the emotions thing, but something about this just kind of struck me as weird, maybe?
0: Well, but the fact is that...
1: And it's also the, the, the portrayal of the Speed Force is like, you know... I think they're going to take off. Atheists and pretty much everyone, but pantheists—you <laughs> know, the people that actually pay attention to these things.
0: Well, I, I think that the reason the Speed Force—I
1: was a little kind of unsure about the portrayal of the Speed Force. Was it like supposed to be God? And then he said, like, "Is it that part about is?" It, This is Speed Force or my mom, both. What did he mean by that?
0: Okay. Uh, um, Quite a bit. Uh, To kind of break it down, I think the reason the Speed Force actually um, had him in there um, was because he's been driven by a belief and a desire to prevent every tragedy. I mean, it has led to some horrific decision making where he's taken on, for example, responsibility for fixing everything on Earth 2 with Zoom and in the process endangered his own world. And basically, it goes back to his inability to let go of not being able to save his mother. And I think that... the
1: So, the speed force decided to play therapist.
0: Yes, it did. But it played therapist for a very practical reason. It was getting in way of him being a l- smart, level thinking hero.
1: Yeah, and the Speed Force is in no way just the author talking to the character.
0: Might be. Um,
1: this is in no way author invasion. The author sitting down and having a therapy session with his character, his or her character.
0: You technically could, but if it's author invasion, it's pretty well done. Um, I I think that... And
1: this is also no way to do sex machina therapy session.
0: Well, you can make that point, but at least they have uh, comic book authority for the existence of the Speed Force. Um, And...
1: So what's the deal with the Speed Force? Well and, and especially the parts I wasn't like sure what they meant.
0: Well it is Is this
1: thing really supposed to be like God?
0: I don't think it's supposed
1: to like okay, you're going to take off a lot of people. Uh
0: it's not supposed to be like God. I was kind of, um I, I was kind of reminded of uh the um I don't know if this is the best comparison. But the, the whole scenes, they reminded me a little bit of the prophets from DS9. Uh, you know, how people would go and they would have these various... Um, DS9? Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh. Um So I I I think in the comics, it's safe to say the Speed Force um, isn't God. It's something that Mark Waid created... That defines where the Flashes get their powers. But it's not totally defined as to what it is. Um, it, it, because there have been a lot of writers who have had their hand in it and provided various bits of Speed Force lore. But.
1: So they, they present the Speed Force as being a lot like The Force. Or uh Disney.
0: I I think that they go for it as they're trying to create a sense of mystery and wonder about this. And to even make you wonder what this uh, thing is supposed to be um, all about. So, good job. But I'm not even sure they have got an answer as to the ultimate definition and explanation of the Speed Force. Because I've read a lot of issues of the modern Flash comics and have really not seen... So
1: they're trying to be vague to avoid taking people off and couldn't inadvertently make people mad who read things into it.
0: That could... well
1: Because you know how some people just want to be offended? Yes. They're just out there looking for something to be offended about.
0: Well, yes, but I think more than that, they want to keep a sense of mystery about it and also a sense of flexibility. The more certainty that you would put into the Speed Force, the more you get bound by hard and fast rules and can be called on nonsense. But if you establish that the Speed Force is really powerful and that it exists and that it does certain things and it can be a very powerful place to go, you can then sort of you know, introduce little Speed Force cheats every now and again without people being able to call it. Just say Speed Force. And so it's a very handy. Mm -hmm.
1: A very handy cheat. Cheating, cheating, cheating. So what did you, what was your take on? What did you think was meant by the both thing? When he said something the speed force said something and he asked is that for my mom or the speed force and the speed force said both what did you think of it what was your take
0: I uh, the thing is I don't have I mean I, I think I would interpret it almost as if because the speed force uh, works throughout Barry's life and would therefore have some knowledge of what his mother would think that would be kind of my um, interpretation of it Um, it, it's you know I I think the scenes with Barry's mother were very touching and well done particularly the reading of the story Um, it was a very uh, moving bit and uh but again, I think they're trying to keep a lot of mystery about the speed force. And they don't mind if people speculate as to what exactly it means. Um, or leave it open enough for people to draw their own meanings in that you know won't offend them, hopefully. Um, so I do think that that could be a big part of it.
1: Unless, of course, we're out, you know, for the type of the South are looking for something to be offended about, right?
0: Yes. Uh, but, of course, while Barry is having this great emotional journey, we have the whole thing with Girder. The zombie Girder. And that really felt just kind of like filler stuff to me. Um. It was like they needed something for the people back in the lab to do. I have that idea, we'll reanimate a dead metahuman. Plus, I'm kind of like, they keep dead metahumans in the basement? It's like, ew. It's like, why would they even do that?
1: I think it came. They came across as they'd forgotten they were there.
0: Yeah. That's a really horrible excuse.
1: Well, honey, have they had, they've kind of had their minds on other things. Yeah. And, you know, the guy whose idea it was kind of was a bad guy.
0: Yeah, but there are certain priorities, you know, taxes, family.
1: It does raise the question, and I think somebody may have actually asked it on the show, he, he was doing this type of creepy stuff, and you never questioned whether who side he was on, and whether he's a whether he's a good guy or not.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I think that that yeah that is a legitimate qu- uh, question. The like I said, I think the girder stuff was just filler in the episode, and you know, with or without, yeah was kind of inconsequential, but told was like,
1: remind me who he is.
0: <laughs> he was just one of the uh, many meta-humans uh, that Barry battled last season. And then we have uh, the uh, awakening of the um, Flashes. Um, Wally West, no signs of powers, actually, at this point. Um, from the particle accelerator explosion.
1: And that one scene, actually, they did have, um, they, when the coffee mug was dropped, they did have it drop to the floor slowly, more slowly than usual.
0: Maybe. but That then, was a hint. But then when Barry escaped the speed force, he sent a zap into Jesse that, a quake that awakened her. So it'll be interesting to see who flashes out first. Um, Jesse or Wally.
1: I think the part of the thing they're needing is a reason to attempt to go that fast.
0: Yeah, the, I guess that could be part of it, too. I
1: mean, if you've never been able to go that fast, why would you try the first time?
0: Well, in the 1990 TV show, John uh, Wesley Shipp as The Flash was out for his uh, daily run, and just started, you know, sped up a little bit, and just kept speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. So that's one explanation, but I guess neither one of them are runners, so mm-hmm. they'll have to work something else in. And then we got the NTs, where uh, Zoom has gathered a bunch of metahumans, though they actually look more like uh, a panel, like a group from Comic-Con. Um, <laughs> And is basically told Caitlyn to either join her, join him, or if she leaves, uh, then she's going to uh, basically face the same fate as her friends. And the ending, it doesn't look like she's too sure about leaving, which raises the question of whether she's going to become Earth One's Killer Frost, And a turn evil in the last two episodes of the of the season. Um,
1: She kind of just had a deer in headlights um, reaction, as far as I could tell.
0: That is an odd foundation for a supervillain career, um, if that's the case. And I think it would be disappointing because they have really put Caitlin. So
1: there is something a little bit ironic. And potentially, um, is uh, giving that type of foreshadowing hinting of something, uh, wondering what she's going to do by having Caitlin Frost freeze in reaction.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Caitlin Snow freeze, that's good.
1: Yeah, if they had a Caitlin Snow freeze.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's.
1: That was the reaction they
0: had her have freeze. <laughs> well, like I said, I hope not. I I like Haelen as um, as a, a a good guy, and I I, th- I think that you know I think there's certainly be an understandable because she's had quite a bit of tragedy, you know, with Ronnie's death at the start of the season, and then what happened with Jay Garrick. But to kind of join the psycho core with um, Zoom and his band of misfit uh, metahumans—that is really iffy.
1: I don't think she's really going to because freezing isn't in and of itself is not a reaction that necessarily means she's going to surrender.
0: But definitely, freezing
1: de- is just freezing.
0: But definitely did catch uh, the attention.
1: Overall,
0: this has been better after some disappointing weeks. Um, I think a good emotional core. core. Plus, I like the directing. One of my favorite scenes in this one is the one where Iris reaching out for Barry uh, to draw him back from the Speed Force. That was a beautifully directed bit. Um,
1: Yes, yes, it was. It was very emotional and moving.
0: Yes. And I, I really did find the idea of them as a couple uh, more believable because of how that uh, came off. Um,
1: and that really incredibly sappy line that he gave her. What was the exact thing he said?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> that your voice will always guide me home or something like that.
0: Yeah. Did you like that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's that. De-
1: it was sweet.
0: Yes, very much so. Um, oh, uh, anything else on this one? Uh, I would assume no. Uh, so overall, I, I think this is cl- uh, close to return to form and hopefully starting things strong for the season finale. I will give this episode eight speedsters out of ten.
1: You stole my rating.
0: So you like two. Okay. Well, now we turn to the death of the Incredible Hulk. And this is the final Incredible Hulk film.
1: Spoilers. 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 Right in the title. (laughs) I mean, seriously. They spoiled their own ending right in their title of the movie.
0: Well, it could have been something where David was cured of being the incredible. what did
1: I say before we watched it?
0: You said that it was um uh that it was uh spoilers in the title.
1: Yeah. I said no, he's dead. He's going to die.
0: Um and I, I should finish this conti- wraps up essentially the 1970s and 80s series and then the three films that came off well it, it was about seeking to find a cure and once again he came in close and once again somebody being a jerk and breaking into the lab uh essentially sabotaged his chance to separate from the hole
1: and he naturally ends up in bed with her which
0: did not actually happen a whole lot in the TV series where it was kind of explicitly said. I think there was only two times other than the time he got married in seat again in season 2. Um and it's all, the whole movie is about a terrorist trying to steal the uh work of the scientist who is um uh who befriends david and works with him uh to try and cure him uh and they did do actually I, I do give them credit they did do something very clever in how they had david trying to find the cure because the guy was working on the human genome and david was coming you know pretending to be actually a mentally challenged janitor but coming in at night and altering the formulas to point the uh, scientist in the right direction, Uh, which is, is, I think, actually a brilliant way when you're in that sort of menial task, Uh, something he probably should have thought of uh, earlier uh, on because so often he tries to go undercover and everybody's like, well, obviously there's something wrong with this guy. He's not just a janitor uh he talks like he's a doctor or scientist or something
1: um
0: and uh, the one thing i th- the you know i think that david does connect well with the scientist and there there's genuine friendship and warmth and his actions are driven by that and they're selfless in that regards um i i think i, I think that one thing that hurts the, the film is that um, the terrorists who are going after this formula, it's basically they're terrorists, but the reason why they're terrorists is never fully explained or what they're doing because uh, they make reference to the cause for which we all pray. And Yasmin insists that they have abandoned the cause for which we all pray and no longer care about the cause for which we all pray. But we have no idea what the cause is or whether she's right or, or and they've changed or whether they were always this uh sort of mercenary um the whole time. And it was and so that was kind of confusing because at first it looked like they were supposed to be like Arab uh Arab slash Islamic terrorist and then we're introduced to the boss who is like this red-haired uh lady which is kind of you know and is supposed to be Yasmin's uh sister and it's just kind of it's kind of confusing some of these casting choices
1: they're and, more german Yasmin um, the pronunciation of her name there is probably other countries that would pronounce it that way too but that's the way it would be pronounced in Ger- Jasmine would be pronounced in Germany Yasmin.
0: so they were so
1: she could be from any of those con- it, from that it, the Germany or the surrounding countries that also do that or you know I, I I don't know what maybe does whether would you know whether Russia would ha- pronounce it like a y?
0: oh they might maybe they could be russian that that might like some sort of counter communist terrorist thingy I'm just honest, it's weird because they want to be so politically correct as to not offend anybody, but they basically make the terrorists then kind of incoherent so you can't understand what they're trying to do or what their even motivation is for this. Though it's panted that they're planning to sell this um, for uh, money. And um, I think that... Um, we get to the death of the Incredible Hulk, which does show David's nobility and being able, willing to risk his life uh, to save uh, Yasmin, who he's fallen in love with a long, dedicated relationship that will be sure to last her life after meeting her 15 hours ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does end up perishing first by... Uh, diverting the plane, and then jumping aboard it as the Hulk to catch uh, the bad guy. And the bad guy responds by blowing up the plane, by shooting, and the Hulk falls from the plane, hurtling down uh, and hitting the pavement. The one thing I questioned is it didn't seem like the Hulk, um, that that was a big enough fall to kill the Hulk.
1: The Hulk always lands on his feet and runs away. I mean, the whole thing was pointless and dumb.
0: Well, maybe if it had been higher up, I could have bought it. Um,
1: Honey, what did we just see tonight? Or the other day? We've seen... Characters with that are not as super powered and as invul, nearly as invulnerable as the Hulk, jumping from heights of, as high or higher than that. I mean, Captain America and Winter Soldier. What did we just see in those in the movie Civil War today?
0: You, you have a point. Uh, I, I guess it would be fair to say this was the 1990s and the Marvel. Television universe, which, despite attempts to add Daredevil and Thor, uh, um, consisted of the Hulk. That they were not quite as super back then, but it at least dropped the Hulk. From
1: they've the- had, but they they've had even was it. Well, he wasn't as strong back then. Um, he jumped from second and third floor story heights before landed on a seat and ran away.
0: Well, he was a few hundred feet up. Um, This would be like 20 or 30 stories high. And I think the force of the blast kind of dazed the Hulk. And so that's why he was falling supinely in the air in a very artistic way with a little tinge of music playing in the background. Which, uh, of course, uh, appropriate.
1: Like I said, the whole thing was stupid and pointless. Whatever plot they were going for, they totally messed it up.
0: Okay, well, I guess to final ratings then. Um, I will say before this that the uh, the story did have a bit of cheapness in both the graphics and the effect. And that tended to be the same thing with the TV movies. Not looking as good, even as the series from the 1970s. Overall, I think that there was some redeeming character moments. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I I will give it, but I think that it could, could have been explained better and there could have been a better ending, even one with a death. But overall, I'll give it a 6 Hulks out of 10.
1: You're kidding!
0: Six out of ten,
1: yeah, well, I'm getting it too. Just be grateful for those two
0: all right, and fun and the final thing we'll discuss together is uh the manga Big Hero Six Volume One, which was um adapted with Big Hero Six Volume Two to the movie.
1: And the volume one is about a third of the movie, and apparently half of the story. Yeah. uh, The book was kind
0: of interesting to read. In many ways, the basic story remains similar.
1: Or did they really spend half the movie on just getting them suited up?
0: I think they spent probably more than that on getting them suited up. Um, The big difference, if you've seen Big Hero 6... Um, the plot diverges in a few ways, but first Tadashi is not killed in a fire. He is, as it happened in the movie, in the book, he's pulled into this dimensional portal, uh, controlled by the man in the mask who has stolen hero's adventure. That
1: means he might be alive.
0: That is a possibility. And I don't know whether that's the case in volume two, um, but this is actually Do you think
1: it'll turn out in a movie that he was also pulled into the portal and they'll find him?
0: Um, I doubt it.
1: Stupid but Disney.
0: What when uh, the the book really is about um Hero's relationship with Tadashi, who is a very likable and caring uh character. Um, and Hero is as the book starts is actually You know, he's actually at college, unlike in the movie, but he's at college and just very uh, conceited, uh, self-centered, etc. And the book is about uh, not being self-centered and that finding rewards in caring for others, and even when it comes to something like inventing, Making it inventions that make other people happy and suggesting that rather than the goal of life just being to get for yourself and to make for yourself, that true happiness comes from uh, caring for um, other people. And uh, it's it's a very good message and it does work its way through the book very nicely. Um, and did you notice any other big differences with the movie
1: Um, uh, no bat cave
0: no bat cave
1: and hero apparently has a lot more cash in the manga
0: yeah yeah that was the thing cuz in the the manga you see if you saw the movie um hero and his friends get um a uh get superhero outfits because Fred is uh rolling in cash, his family is. And so Fred basically buys them all the superhero gear they need. Uh but the manga has a very uh different explanation. Hero just decides to build superhero uh armor and there it is.
1: And he builds it with his looks.
0: Yes. No money, and, and I think the. I mean,
1: where does the fourteen-year-old get the kind of cash it would take to build that type of thing?
0: Yeah, it's it, it's something where it's it's I guess kind of like it's a manga. We don't have to explain it. Um,
1: yes, yes, you do.
0: Um, the other thing too is the is that the manga develops the secondary character so far, anyway.
1: Um, Unless uh, he has some sort of magic power. But even that would be technically explaining it.
0: Yes, that's true. Um, the other thing is, I don't think the book Quat does as good a job in developing the characters. The only one who is actually developed is the violent uh, girl, at, at least in terms of having any understanding. And the fact that, I just remember her as the violent girl. Suggest the character development's not all that uh, significant for the rest of this team. Um,
1: what, the one guy is kind of crazy.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, maybe though we'll get more of that in volume two. But I I have to say, if you like the movie, the book is, it's worth reading. You get a a sense of the background and kind of a deeper idea. Um, And uh, so I I think it's worthwhile for that. Uh, I think Disney definitely added some touches that really do make it... uh, Uh, convert well to film but I think a lot of the basic story is there and if anything many of the messaging ideas are better developed in the manga
1: yeah it's definitely a trade off So it does some things better and some things worse
0: so overall rating for the book um, I will give it uh, an 8 8 uh, automated care robots out of 10 hmm,
1: seven and a half. Seven
0: and and a half all right well i've got a few of my own uh to just dis- uh just me i'll discuss in a second and now i'm going to talk about jago and lightfoot series 10 uh now jago and lightfoot i've mentioned them i believe before uh were originally featured in the fourth Doctor uh, classic story, The Talons of Wang Xiang. And essentially, they were one-shot characters. However, they were brought back in a two-hander Companion Chronicles and were given their own spin-off audio series uh, by Big Finish. And Big Finish just released Series 11 last month, and I'm giving my review of Series 10 because I've been a bit behind, but so far 11 series, a two-hour special, and two one-hour specials, along with that companion chronicle. Series 10 finds the, uh, two Victorian adventurers having an autobiography or a biography written, and they're being hounded by their biographer. And I've listened to all of the Jago and Lightfoot series. This one might actually be the best yet. It kicks off with just a grand, um, off the wall tale of a lock room uh, mystery, uh, and it finds Jago and Lightfoot competing for the attentions and affections of their biographer and trying to one up each other. And it's a very clever, uh, sort of story and, uh, uh, j- just a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Had some, gr- uh, there were some great humorous moments, but it didn't take itself too light. Uh, the second story is probably the weakest of the set, and that's the Year of the Bad. Uh, but it is still a very clever and uh, out-there tale, in which Jago and Lightfoot receive the Yesterday Box. The Yesterday Box allows them to send messages in, uh, to themselves 30 years previously, and they are recounting a, a story from their past, uh, from when they were younger, and actually encountered each other without knowing it. It's a kind of madcap adventure, particularly when it involves a bunch of uh, evil Mary Poppins-like uh, figures. So it is probably a uh, writer Jonathan Morris, probably the most outlandish thing he did for Jago and Lotfoot. And then there's the morning after, which has got one of the more scary and terrifying openings in Jago and Lightfoot. As Lightfoot is attending Jago's uh, funeral, and they pour the dirt on, and then we hear Jago. Jago is alive and in the coffin, which is a very frightening way to start the story. And it mixes in a lot of great character work and some suspense. Great bit of mystery, and uh, then it all wraps up with the Museum of Curiosities as they encounter once again a series of strange uh, murders. Uh, I really like this final uh, story because I had, I was like, Two thirds sure that I knew what the solution was. But they, uh, but really Justin Richards, who wrote this, managed to keep things going so well. I was in such a state of, you know, I wasn't entirely sure. And, uh, they left a lot of room for doubt, and there was some very clever misdirection, and the whole thing ends up, uh, with a few nods to the fact of all the amazing and weird cases that Jago and Lightfoot have solved over 10 series uh, very well done uh, and again I th- I think so much of the entire collection series 10 is just such a great vehicle for these characters with so many great stories uh, I highly recommend it probably won't get a whole lot out of it if you just uh, started this uh, series but uh, or you haven't uh, listened to much of it, but you can actually get the first uh, four series of Jago and Lightfoot for a single credit at audible.com. But again, I will give this one nine Victorian detectives out of ten. Just an absolute delight. Well, that's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. From Boise, Idaho, this is Adam.
1: And Andrea Graham.
0: Signing off.